This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Hey, this is Jimmy Smith filling in for Luke Thomas this week on the Luke Thomas Show. Today on the podcast, we'll discuss the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant. I'll talk to my former Bellator broadcast partner and current voice of the Boston Celtics, Sean Grandy, and I'll examine the state of the UFC's heavyweight division in the aftermath of UFC Raleigh. All that and more on this edition of the Luke Thomas Show podcast. As many of you know, I am a native of Southern California. And I have been listening to Los Angeles Lakers and watching the Los Angeles Lakers my entire life. Um, and I know a lot of people have, have gone over this. Ak and Barak just, just had a moment about it. And I don't want to go on and on forever about it. But I have to acknowledge just how sad it is. And, and when I was a kid, man, the Showtime Lakers were it, man. They were it. And if you grew up in the 80s in Southern California like I did, you watch the Showtime Lakers. You're a Lakers fan. That's it. Magic and Kareem and Worthy and AC Green. And those were legends to me. And then I'm in college at UCLA. And we get this kid from Philadelphia right out of high school. And I, along with everybody else, remember that this wasn't normal at the time. First it was Kevin Garnett. And then it was, you know, they're starting to draft kids out of high school. You know, are they ready? What's going to go on? So I, I was just as skeptical as everybody else. And watching him develop. There, there are very few times in your life when you're looking at history. And you know it. Right? When you're looking at history and you realize in the moment you're looking at history. Usually it's reflective, right? We get nostalgic about something. We realize how big it was. Watching Kobe develop into the player he became in Los Angeles was real-time history because we knew how good he was and we knew how good he was going to be and we knew an all-time great he was going to be. And to see him basically grow up in front of us was really amazing. And when I was in school, and it was a Kobe Shaq years, three titles in a row – you didn't walk past the television on the UCLA campus that didn't have the Lakers playing when there was game time. You didn't say, did you see the game last night? You said, what do you think of the game last night? And I've talked about this a little bit before on air about sports and athletics, and we, we overemphasize talent because it seems so otherworldly, right? It seems so special. It seems so extraordinary and also to be honest with ourselves it lets us off the hook right i'm not a great xyz whatever sport whatever thing whatever game because i don't have that kind of talent i'm telling you talent doesn't mean what we think it means almost every great fighter i've ever known had talent, they had a physical or, or mental aptitude for what they were doing. Kobe Bryant was six foot six, right? Kobe Bryant was the son of a basketball player, professional basketball player. So we had a, a, a talent inherent, that, an inherent talent that a lot of people don't have. The guy was obsessed with getting better and winning, 
period. What we don't see as fans, we see talent. We don't see hours of shooting jump shots in an empty gym with no one around for hours and hours. What Kobe Bryant brought to athletics that everybody could see was kid is driven to win. He's driven to be great. And I don't care what sport you're if you're if you're a Kobe fan, if you're not a Kobe fan, if you were a Kobe hater, fine. You you have to acknowledge that. How special that was to see and how special that was to watch. You know, the dominance that he displayed on the court. It's just it was so special to watch. And to lose something something like that, someone like that. It's sad. And I'm not going to sit here and, and tell you I'm feeling anything like what his wife is feeling, losing a husband and a child on the same day. I can't fathom that. I'm not going through what his family's going through, what his friends are going through, what his people who knew him personally are going through. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But it's sad, and I'm sad. And I happened to yesterday, when I got up in the morning, put on my Lakers shirt. I have an old school Lakers shirt that I wear sometimes. And I was walking around. And somebody said, sucks about Kobe, man. That's how I found out. Because I just didn't have an alert on my phone. I wasn't watching the news or anything like that. Somebody saw my Lakers shirt and said, sucks about Kobe. And I thought, no, 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 no. And I got the news like everybody else. And the thing that gets me about the whole thing, not only 41 years old, dying with his daughter in, in the manner in which he did, which is just awful any way you slice it, on a human level. People in L.A. and Southern California, I watched him literally grow up. I watched him go from teenage phenom to one of the greatest players of all time and go on and help his daughter. And like, you know, he's a year younger than me. I saw him from beginning to end with the same team and then do things beyond sports. And celebrity is the illusion of familiarity. We feel like we know people that we see on screen all the time. We saw on, on the, the basketball court or the football field, and we feel like we know them. And so collectively, we all feel like we lost somebody that we saw we kind of grew up with. And so that's why I'm sad. And... I think anybody in athletics and MMA, if you're listening to the sound of my voice and you're a fight fan, you recognize that spirit that Kobe had. Because like I said, man, screw talent, screw strength and speed and all the things you need to be a great athlete. That just single-minded desire to be great. He had that. And we don't see that as often as you would think. At the elite level. 
You know, it's, it's, people are obsessed. Those are the ones that become really, really great. And that spark going out sucks. I don't know if you listened to the end of the Achenbrock show. They said a little prayer and all those things, and, and that's great. And I'm not a religious man. I'm not going to sit here and say there's a plan and everything happens for a reason and thoughts and prayers, and, I, you know, I don't do that. You have to make sense out of chaos in your own way. And it's just difficult to do. To make sense out of chaos, out of randomness and the injustice of it. And I think one of the things that does is it brings us all together in little ways. Because you can have all the money in the world, which Kobe Bryant did. You can have all the resources in the world and lose it all. In a split second, nobody gets a free ride. We all have tragedy. We all have tragedy. And I think that's the lesson for today when it comes to Kobe is that we all have tragedy. We all have heartbreak. We all have things that, that remind us that humanity is the same in that regard. It's a difficult lesson, but we all eventually have to learn it. And it sucks, and I'm going to be sad today. And we're going to move on to MMA, and I'm going to do my job to the best of my ability. And I appreciate everybody listening to this. It's, it takes something out of you. It just sucks. And you sit there and go, that's not fair. That's not fair. But we all have to deal with unfairness, and it's terrible. We deal with it in our own way. And I saw a lot of people from different walks of life have nothing to do with the NBA who were really hurt. You know, and it's, I think any sports fan can identify with that. And it's been a long time since we've had something like this where someone at his age who wasn't, you know, We've all seen the athletes that made bad personal decisions and in terms of substance abuse and all that. You know, the, the clock is ticking, right? This was a guy who was doing well post-retirement, was doing great things, won an Academy Award, doing a lot of great things, and is gone. So you got to find the lessons where they are because it's not easy. It's not easy. And the man had a complex legacy. Things that were good and things that were bad. And I've talked about before on air that legacies are complicated. No one who's had a life worth living has one legacy. He had his critics. He had his detractors. He still does. He always will. I had a, got a text from a friend of mine named Russ, and he was the graphics guy for Bellator. And he's from Boston. So he's a Celtics fan. I'm a Lakers fan whenever they would play in the NBA Finals, which is, I think, twice in the time I knew him. We would have our, like, pride bets and all this stuff, and I made him wear a Lakers jersey during a Bellator show, which was awesome. And he said the worst part was walking down the street and people rolling down the window. And yelling out, go Kobe, at him. 
because I made him wear a Lakers jersey. And he looked at me, and he was laughing. He goes, man, that was the worst. And he goes, but you got to respect that guy. you got to respect him. And Russ tested me, and he said, thinking of you, brother, with this horrible, horrible news about Kobe. And I said, yeah, man, it's unreal. And he wrote back, live every single day. I love you. That's what he wrote to me. And once again, I'm not a spiritual person. It's just not in me. But you got to take the lessons. And the lesson is it can be gone anytime. Despite your talent or your money or what's happening in your life, it can happen any day to any of us. So one of the greatest lights in the sporting world has gone out. Legends never die. People do. You have to take one with the other. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. A lot of people think you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. You can listen outside the car. Right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for free. Just go to SiriusXM.com slash Luke Thomas to see offer details and to subscribe. You can listen on your phone, at home, and online. That's SiriusXM.com slash Luke Thomas. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. We are now joined by someone that I really have wanted to talk to about this, that I, I miss a lot. Uh, Sean Grandy, NBA commentator, my broadcast partner at Bellator, also a very close friend. How you doing, my brother? Been a, I, I knew one day we would find our way back together, right? On the air, I just could not have, like anyone else in the world, imagined the circumstances under which it would happen. Yeah, man. Just give me a, a – you're so close to it. You're the voice of the Celtics. The, the pulse of the NBA right now. I mean, they're talking about canceling games, what they're going to do, how they're going to honor him and all these things. We saw on Sunday, uh, if you didn't see it, a lot of teams let the – I think it was the one game they had the 24-shot clock run out on both sides to honor Kobe. What's the pulse right now of the NBA and moving forward? I think everyone is just still devastated. I think yesterday was one of those situations where everyone had to – we had to do our jobs because it almost – the way it happened, there wasn't even time to contemplate. You know, there are logistics involved. There's always all that, you know, back stuff involved with teams being in cities, and it was just sort of, all right, go ahead and play but nobody wanted to play. Nobody wanted to be there. In the end, it was probably best we were all around each other sort of on, on that day. But I think this is not a, well, everything will be back to normal tomorrow kind of deal. This is something that's going to cast a pall over all of us for the entire season. I'm pretty sure All-Star Weekend is going to be completely revamped as it should to be about Kobe. And I just think this is just one of those life gut shots that hits so many people in so many different ways. And, you know, the degree to which even on the team that I travel with, the way that Kobe affected from a guy like Jalen Brown, who could be in the All-Star game in a couple of weeks, who was literally stunned that he he never got a chance to meet him. He never got a chance to shake his hand to Jason Tatum and Gordon Hayward, who literally were mentored and spent time with Kobe over summers. And everybody has just been affected on so many levels as a player, as, a, as fathers, as family men. And, and women that travel with us, that it's just 
I think we're all still in a little bit of a, a stupor. I think that's going to go on for a while. Uh, not a lot of people know this, but you know, when you and I discussed MMA, when you know, when you and I were were doing Bellator, Kobe was almost like a an example of excellence. Like we referenced Kobe, you and I privately all the time. You know, like when when somebody was really in the zone, you know, like you and I you know, in commercial breaks, like man, like Kobe, man, hitting every shot. It was almost our fallback about excellence. And and you're a Celtics guy, I'm a Lakers guy, but we would always, I mean, that was almost like a fallback synonym for excellence. He was, and you know, one of the things you learn, Jimmy, is that you're older than you think you are, right? We're always older than we think we are. And you come to the realization that for people to whom Michael Jordan was that guy and the ultimate example of competitor, of athlete, of the idolatry, all of it, for a generation now of NBA players, Kobe was their Michael. And it was he was the ultimate in so many different ways. And there's the basketball element, which just carves a lot of us up. But the thing about Kobe, which makes this so unique, is that as much as he has had patterned his life and set his goals from a basketball standpoint of what he wanted his basketball career and basketball legacy to be. He had been doing the same thing for years for what he wanted the second half of his life to be. And as everyone knows by now, he had already won an Academy Award, you know, education, giving back to the game, mentoring younger players. But it went, and obviously being a father at the top of that list to his four girls, but he's it, what we lost I can assure you, I know this for a fact, and, and you know my wife, Dana, very well, and she had done a story with him two months ago. She flew out to L.A. and spent time with Kobe, and I can promise you that he planned to give as much, if not more, to the world in the second half of his life, which is now gone, than he did in his first, and that is saying something. The idea, and I talked about it a little bit on air, I mean, this is a guy, I was you know, at UCLA at the time when he got drafted out of high school, and I was, you know, people forget that wasn't normal. <laughs> and then, you know, pretty much Garnett and Kobe, and that was it. And, and we're like, ah, can this high school kid really play? And, and I think so much of the emotional side of this is I, as a Lakers fan, saw him grow up. I saw him go from a kid to a man to a veteran to a retired player to a father wearing the jersey of one team. Uh, unprecedented in in the NBA? I mean, how do you feel about that? The amount of time, he's synonymous with Los Angeles. The NBA, and about certain sports, but it's happened a few times in the NBA that certain players almost seem to be born to play in certain cities. Larry Bird with the Celtics, Tim Duncan with the Spurs, Karl Malone, you know, at Utah with the Jazz, you know, Michael in Chicago, and the fit of player in city. And the thing about it, it's funny because it comes, you know, a week after Derek Jeter goes into the hall of fame. Kobe was not just, there are players who probably rank ahead of Kobe on the all time list. And there may be, it's hard to think of any that are rank ahead of him in terms of celebrity and just being that icon. But the, the combination of those two things, like this, you can, you could argue if you want that Tim Duncan was a more valuable player than Kobe Bryant was his career. But from a star standpoint, those two things combined and playing with one team and playing in L.A. and being able to – not everybody can do that. Not everybody can play in L.A. Not everybody can play in New York. And, you know, it's – what I said yesterday, I was trying to – you know, it's our job, as you know, it's yeah. our job to come up with words, right, in situations where there often are no words. And the best way I could describe what's happening here in Boston is that it – 
Kobe Bryant spent his entire career breaking Celtic fans' hearts, and it seemed impossible that he could do it again. And he did yesterday. And people here are devastated because when people here say, you know, for 20 years, I, I hate Kobe Bryant. We know that that is in some ways the beauty of sports, that hatred. That's not real life hatred. That's love. That's respect. That's fear being rechanneled into that in a, in a sports environment. And, you know, this, this artist and this rival being taken TD garden right now is decked out the escalators that lead into TD garden are decked out in purple and gold. And I, when we get home on Thursday night, it's going to be, I can't even imagine the environment it's going to be, uh, you know, when Celtic fans first gather for the first time, because obviously it affected Laker fans in a certain way, but I'm not sure there's another franchise in another city that was as affected by yesterday as Boston was, which is really about the fellowship of sports and maybe the reason that a lot of us chose to devote our lives to it. You know, I knew something special was happening with Kobe. The moment I knew it was once again, and it it literally like gives me chills thinking about, they cut to the garden and it was a playoff game. And by you guys, I mean the Celtics uh, were winning and going to NBA final take on Lakers. And they started chanting beat LA. And I hadn't heard that since I was a kid watching Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. And I went, man, that's awesome. Celtics, Lakers again. And that idea of elevation where, where you don't realize how good they made you, how good the Celtics. Part of the reason the Celtics have been so good most of my childhood is they had to beat the Lakers. And one of the reasons the Lakers are so good for most of my childhood and my life is we had to beat Boston. You know, we don't like you. You don't like us. And it's, it's, it, it's that magic. And I think now that he's gone, you realize how good he made me and how good he made us and how many memories people in the garden have that are, are based around that rivalry. And it, it's, it's, it's sad for both sides, man. That generation, one of the beautiful things, and I, you know, I was so fortunate because, like the players that played in it, I was the kid watching Celtics Lakers in the '80s, and you know, in 2007, people forget this. 2007, the Lakers did not have a great year, and the Celtics were horrible. They had the Paul Pierce injury, and they were going to be bad anyway. And Paul Pierce and Kobe Bryant got together that summer, and the joke between them when they met up in LA was, which one of us is going to be traded first? Because both desperately wanted to be the guy to bring their respective franchises back to prominence, back to the finals, and back to a championship. And this happened in 2007. The idea that it would ever happen, that we would ever see it again, was foreign. The notion that we were a year away from these two franchises getting back to the finals against each other was basketball, fantasy, and folly at that point. And yet this dream, on this back-to-the-future dream, unfolded in front of us the very next year. And what one of the things that made it so special is that Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and Ray Allen and Kobe and the guys that played in those two finals grew up watching the Celtics and Lakers and you know wanting to follow that legacy. And there they got to live it and stage their own. The only you know the great shame of the era was the Kevin Garnett injury in 2009 that prevented that third finals in a row, which would have been you know the ultimate rubber match of the of the of the generation of the basketball generation. But Kobe, you know, the year that year when the Celtics were really bad, Kobe came in and had a dominant performance in Boston and the fans were chanting MVP. The Boston fans were chanting MVP at Kobe. And of course his last game on his farewell tour, one of the most memorable nights 
was the game in Boston, which everybody erupted every time Kobe touched the ball. I had to watch that game on TV because you and I were in Tokyo when that yep. happened in uh, in December over Christmas of, of 2015. But, you know, he affected everybody in so many different ways. And I just, you know, as a father, you have your own reaction, but it's very difficult for me to get past what I know he was going to be, not just to the basketball world, but to the world in general and to his girls in the second half of his life. And that's why I think, as I said, we're still just all 24 hours later. and There's nothing real about it. The idea that you as a broadcaster have to translate these emotions and get to the nuts and bolts of, of, of calling a game and going through the stats and, and being – what's hard today is I cannot be up on this show, right? Like I, I told in the opening show that, you know, I'm, I'm bummed out today. Uh, you know, it hurts a lot. We've gone over some painful stuff. You have to be up because it, it's, it, it's an NBA game, but it, it's hard to be up and stay up and you don't want to fake up. And people who haven't broadcasted, what's that? Is that even possible to explain that? You just, I mean, no, but I think there's an element where uh, I don't, imagine there's any great difference between when you and I were sitting there and we're talking to fight fans and we had to talk about losing Kimbo slice and we had to deal with tragedies that happened. You just talk to people because we're all sharing the same emotions and it's just talking to people who are feeling the same thing. I don't think anybody really felt like working last night, but at least we were all together and all we, there are no answers. There's no magic solutions you're going to come up with in speaking, but if I'm talking about it just helps. And I think there's, comfort in having Cedric Baxter and I just there talking about it. And we, you know, there, there will be joy again and there'll be happiness again and we'll get back to it. But we have to go through just like any grief in life. I think we all have to go through this period of not just extraordinary grief, but just the stunning, just something that was inconceivable five minutes before it happened. And then trying to, you're going period of processing it and then grieving for it and trying to figure out how we all make, Kobe live on in the, you know, in the league because he was such a dominant part of it for as long as any of us can remember. Sean, just want you to know, man, as a friend, uh, I really appreciate you calling and giving us your time. And I know you're going to have a tough week, but we're there for you. I'm there for you. And hope everything goes as well as it possibly can, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. The Luke Thomas Show is your one-stop destination for MMA. If you're in a UFC title fight and you get finished in the first round, yo, you lost. Sports. I cheer for loser teams. As well as pop culture and entertainment. No matter what Star Wars comes out, I'll just find a way to like it. No. The Luke Thomas Show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on your home for combat sports. Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156 and the Sirius XM app. Now included free for most subscribers. Finally getting to talk about MMA UFC last Saturday. Curtis Blades winning by knockout over Junior Dos Santos. Question, of course, what does that do for the heavyweight division in the UFC? Kind of a a strange situation. I'm going to ask you a question, Mike. You're always my sounding board. You know that, right? Of course. Now, Kelly literally has a sounding board in front of her, but you're my, my sounding board. Kelly has her sounding board. You're my sounding board. Okay? Anyway. Uh... I thought initially, and let me know if you thought this as well, I kind of thought Stipe DC trilogy was kind of a done deal. I kind of thought that's the next way they have to go. There's no way around it. They're going to have that trilogy fight. 
I'm surprised there's this kind of controversy or gamesmanship, whatever you want to call it, about the future of the heavyweight division. I assumed after the second fight that Stipe versus DC was the fight to make, that it was a foregone conclusion that this fight was going to happen. Did you agree with that? I thought it was the, the time. Yeah, I thought it was the absolute same thing. I thought it was going to be a rematch. There was no real clear-cut contender at heavyweight, so it just seemed like it made sense. Right. And both fights have been incredibly close. So, yeah, I thought it made sense to do the third trilogy fight. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the weird thing to me is I thought it was a, a done deal and everything else would kind of follow after that. You'd get the trilogy fight. Now, and you heard DC, and, and I usually listen with the volume off when I'm studying fights. I, I, you know, I, I watch it quiet. I find it's easier to study that way. Um, then I heard later in the interview with DC saying, Stipe, give me the rematch. It's the right thing to do. Almost kind of like, I don't want to say campaigning or asking for the rematch. I thought that was weird. I was, thought it was, would be a done deal by now. If you look at the heavyweight division right now, and I'm looking right now at UFC rankings, take, take them for what you will. Stipe number one. I mean, Stipe champion, of course. DC number one contender. Then in Ganu, Blades, Dos Santos, Derek Lewis, Rosenstruck, Volkov, Overeem, Harris. Solid, right? I don't see a fight bigger on that list than Stipe DC. In Ganu is exciting, of course. Stipe ate him alive last time. I thought he did a phenomenal job. Probably does the same thing again. Curtis Blades coming off win over JDS. Great for him. The difficulty is that he doesn't have the most um, aesthetic style, right? Got to knock it over JDS. Great. I'm not taking anything away from him. Great ground and pound over Overeem. Great performance there. He's a wrestling-centric fighter against Stipe, who has great wrestling. Um, Stipe has nice hands. I think it's a competitive fight. I think Stipe is probably the favorite. But I don't see that as a huge pay-per-view seller right now, right? I think people will watch. It'll you know be comparatively big. It won't be huge. I think DC's retirement fight against Stipe is just economically better than Blades, who's a very tough fighter, and, and you know you could argue he deserves a title shot. But you know Stipe and DC is, is that's the big money fight. Do you think it's gamesmanship? Mike, on Stipe's part. I'm the champ. I decide when you fight and when you don't. That he's just kind of pulling a little bit of a little bit of a head game there? Uh, probably. That, if he's smart, that's what it is. I, I have the feeling that's what it is. A whole like, oh, you know, I, I might not give him the shot. and that whole, that whole type of thing. Probably. I think, the, I think Stipe knows that that's the biggest fight he can take right now. Short of a... I, the only other thing I could even possibly assume is... Maybe he's playing a waiting game with John Jones and just seeing if John Jones might want to move up. But that's got to be the farthest thing. I mean, Jones is going to fight you know, this week. So I would imagine he might be playing a little bit of a waiting game on that. But I think ultimately it's going to be DC. I am with you in that the only thing I can think of that he would be you know, waiting for is, is, is John Jones. But... John Jones, number one, has enough on his plate. All right? He's dealing with Dominic Reyes, who's, who's one hell of a contender. I think that's a very tough fight. And who knows if he ever wants to go to heavyweight after that. You know, th- th- there's no guarantee at all that he wants to do that. And to, so to turn down 
you know, the bird in the hand, I think is dumb. I think it's just stupid to do that. Now, I think it's more gamesmanship, to be totally honest with you. I really do. I think it's more him just trying to pull strings and, and, and let DC, who has a huge name, who is obviously a commentator, a lot of crossover appeal and all these things. You may be more famous than me. You may be drawing a, a, a nice paycheck doing commentary. I'm the champion and you're not. That's the only thing I can think of that would delay a rubber match with DC. I don't think he's afraid. Uh, obviously, didn't work out well the first time, but knocked him out in the rematch. He's got the momentum on his side. So I, I don't know why that, that fight isn't being made. Now, where is Blades in this mix? He's right there near the top. The, what he has over Nganu is Stipe and Nganu have already fought, right? And Rosenstruck is taking on Nganu, incredibly heavy hitters. That's, that's uh, happening March 28th. That's going to be an incredible fight. But Blades is kind of available right now, and he hasn't fought the champ yet. Everyone else has. The problem with the heavyweight division right now, when you look at the rankings, what are you seeing? A lot of veteran names. You're seeing a lot of names you've already seen fight for titles before. You've seen a lot of names that have already been at the top, right? Stipe is number one. DC had a title shot, was champion. Francis Ngannou had a title shot, came up short. Curtis Blades has not. Junior Dos Santos, former champion, had a rematch, didn't work out. Derek Lewis, right? Had a title shot against DC, didn't work out. You don't get to new blood, Really? Outside of Curtis Blades until number five. Rosenstruck. And he's only had ten professional fights. So it could be rushing him to take on Stipe. Isn't going to work. And also, he has a fight against Ngannou coming already. So the thing about the heavyweight division is fighters can be... And we'll get into this a little bit more when, when I talk about the future for JDS. But you can be functional in the heavyweight division if you hit hard for a long time. A long time. You remember George Foreman or no? You too young for that, Mike? Just barely making it in there for George Foreman. More of that later run than the first run, obviously. Yeah, you weren't around for the first run, dude. Yeah. You were not. I've seen enough documentaries, though. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, I like documentaries. It makes it sound like I'm an expert on stuff. And I just watched a documentary on it. It's great. You weren't you weren't born before his last one. No, I was not. I was. I'm old, but I don't remember it. Little trivia. Do you know who his last fight was before his retirement? Ooh. No, I do not. I can't get Jimmy it. Young. I would have never got that in a million years. You never would have gotten in a million years. Jimmy Young, a phenomenal boxer in the late 70s. Actually outboxed Muhammad Ali and then got robbed. Um, but a phenomenal boxer. He's real, real talent. And he outboxed George Foreman. George Foreman had heat stroke in the locker room. Thought God was speaking to him and had like a religious conversion. Became a preacher. Didn't box for 10 years. Fun facts with Jimmy Smith. Didn't box from 77 to 87. But my point is... Older heavy hitters can still be very relevant in the heavyweight division, much older than in other weight classes where your speed goes, your athleticism goes, and and you're just out. Heavyweights can have a long shelf life because as long as you can still knock guys out, you can make some money. Even if you're not going to be a champion anymore, you can still make money. But the, the, the top in the UFC is just getting a little long in the tooth. When you have in the top 10, uh, Overeem, Lewis, Dos Santos, and Ganu, DC, you know, there's a lot of names that have been in the game for a long time. Long time. 
And so, you know, a little new blood would be a good thing, but you still have that name value of DC Stipe. And I don't think, I don't think it, it gets any better than that right now in terms of money. Now, do you think, once again, my signing, my, my, my sounding board, Mike, um, if DC does get the fight, if he doesn't get the fight with Stipe, do you think he's really done? If Stipe goes, no, I'm fighting somebody else for some reason, do you think he is done? He'll walk away rather than get that last fight. That's what he's threatened to do is I'll walk away if I don't get the, the rubber match with Stipe. That's the only fight that's worth me sticking around MMA. Do you believe that? Hmm. Uh, I kind of don't. I think, listen, I think he might be over the John Jones thing. I, I, I believe him on that. But I think with the way this fight's won, I mean, he wins by knockoff the first time. He was winning the Stipe fight up until he got knocked out with that nice little adjustment by Stipe going to the body. I think he wants that one back. I think he would like to leave no doubt. Now, he absolutely, I think, could walk away. I think he's done enough in the sport to where he should be proud of the career and just, you know, call it a day, keep commentating. But I think he wants that Stipe one. I think he comes back. But if Stipe doesn't give it to him, do you think he takes another fight or he walks? I don't think he takes another fight. I think he, he hangs in there for another Stipe fight. Just as yeah. long as it takes. Yeah, I don't think he's taking any other fights aside from Stipe. Unless they, they dangle another John Jones, maybe. But I, I think he mainly just he comes back for a Stipe fight and nothing else for the most part. I agree, too. And I think if John Jones doesn't come up to heavyweight, which... Uh, look, John Jones is the greatest light heavyweight of all time. I don't think that's really up for debate. Um... I think he knows a lot of his advantages might not work in the heavyweight division, right? Like, he has good range and great speed. I don't think he wants to go toe-to-toe with these gigantic heavyweights who hit like he stole something from them. I just don't think he wants to do that. Remember, DC looked like a heavyweight. DC was basically a heavyweight who was just good at cutting weight, especially when he had a towel to lean on. But uh, this is a guy who could get down to 205. John Jones is more of a, a light heavyweight build. He's a little bit wiry. He's tall. I don't think he wants to go to heavyweight, and I don't see DC going down to 205 to take on John Jones. I don't care how much money's involved. I, if John Jones would go up to heavyweight, sure. I don't think he will. I think he wants to keep his speed advantages, his range advantages, his power advantages. Those are all at 205. Now, not that I don't think John Jones could be a competitive heavyweight. I do. But I think in his own mind, he's like, ah, why go up there if I don't have to? When I can make, you know, and I can keep defending my belt at 205 and make fighters come to me, why not? So I think the big issue for a John Jones DC trilogy fight is whether or not John Jones will go up to heavyweight. Because I don't see DC at his age. And I'm telling you right now, weight cutting gets a lot more difficult as you get older. DC never liked it. It was never something you want to do. This is a guy I remember who famously missed out on the, Olympi- on the Olympics because he couldn't make weight. He didn't like doing it. Now he doesn't have to, really. I don't see him going down to 205 again for anybody. So that trilogy with John, I mean, the, the trilogy fight with John Jones, I just, meh. To me, the weight cut's the big issue. Not the name or anything like that. It's the weight cut. He doesn't want to do it, especially when you fight, D- I'm sorry, Stipe at heavyweight and make the money. Have a big fight. Go out, maybe the heavyweight champion. And so I think for all his posturing, that's what he does. That is definitely the, the, the path Stipe takes is a rubber match with DC. He's already beaten everybody else in the top five except Curtis Blades. Not Derek Lewis. DC beat Derek Lewis, but have, have had opportunities at the heavyweight title. That's the only fight right now that makes sense. 
Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.